Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. Welcome to First Time Through New Eyes on Castle Rock. I am Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And this is my first time through Eyes of the Dragon. Um, a story by none other than uh, our lord and liege, Mr. King himself. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, this one has a fun uh, history, a lot of interesting good stuff about it. Um, and, uh, Kim, what background knowledge do you know about this one? I know that he wrote this for his daughter, uh, Naomi, when she was younger because she didn't like scary stories. So he wrote her a uh, fairy tale. Um, It was originally published in 84 in like a crazy hardcover linen really super fantastic uh and then it was published for mass market in 87 so that's when i got it because you know money (laughs) um and i was a kid so uh i really love this book because you know i was 13 in 87 when it came out so it was written for me um um I think uh, just for my own like sake, I looked up. I like to know like the chronological, like where it was and where it was at. Um, mm-hmm. So it came out. The novel that came out right before this one was it, and the novel that came out right after this was the Drawing of the Three. Right. Eyes of the Dragon came out in February. Drawing of the Three came out in May. Like three months later. That's wild. That is. Yeah. And then in I mean, June, Misery came out. And then in November, Tommy Knockers came out. He was really like, that was the end of that three deal contract. It must have been that you were talking about Eyes of the Dragon, yes. Misery, and Tommy Knockers. Uh, it, Misery, and Tommy Knockers. This was um, outside of that contract. Oh, okay. We know, uh, too. So, you know, he had a 14 year old daughter, you said? Yeah. Well, in, in 84, Naomi was 14 when he wrote this. Um, um, I think, too, the dedication, like, right when you start off, too, um, it's also to Ben Straub. And, you know, Ben Straub is in a lot of his stuff. He's He's got a lot of dedications, and he's friends with him. They've written a novel together, haven't they? Well, I think that Ben is Peter's son. Oh, Peter Straub is who I'm thinking uh-huh. of, isn't it? Yeah. Well... Now that the Eyes of the Dragon, young, it's, it's a, it is geared at a young adult novel style for his daughter. So, uh, do you want to get into the recap? Yeah. Um, I do like just to preface this, like just so like we know where we're at going in. I love this. This is fantastic. This is super fun. It's good. It's a lot. There's some more adult themes than I expected there to be. You know, he really. It's like an older teenage adult fantasy you know it's a mm-hmm. young adult fantasy uh like that 16 17 year olds that you're trying to hit um but uh all right yeah let's uh go into this recap um yeah. so it starts off uh, and the timeline in this book is almost non-existent for the first like 25 chapters i'd wager um and after that the timeline becomes very linear but at first, it's a lot of jumping around back and forth in different people's time streams. 
Um, so I'll probably get it all mixed up as I go through this, but um, bear with me. So we open up and it is told uh, from, a, you know, it feels like a narrative storyteller perspective. We get this feeling that it is a man who maybe watched all of it unfold. It is a man who was there. Um, and just in my head, it makes me think that, like, this would be the story that, like, somebody that's in. And, oh, okay, just to frame that, this is a little bit out there. I think that this is, like, a. This would be like a a fantasy, like an urban legend in the Dark Tower series. Like this is like a story that like old men sit around campfires to tell their children. You know what I mean? Uh, and Absolutely. That's what, that's what this makes me think of. And, you know, maybe if like one day we find out like, you know, Roland's d- descended from this family, that would make sense to me. D- Delane, Duchesne, like so similar. Um, but... Uh, you know, it's just the flag is there. Roland is there, uh, you know, and I'm sure there's going to be more characters that, like, I just don't know now in the other universes that are all there that have popped up. Knowing that this came out before the rest of the Dark Tower series, you know, uh, just kind of really makes me realize, like, okay, this is kind of a precursor to all of that. So, like, the things that we see here, maybe this is just him, like, kind of testing out his own mythos for the Dark Tower series. Um, but I'm glad you got so excited about that. But yeah, uh, that's how I feel that this, that's what this makes me think of. Um, yes. So we're introduced to Roland the Good and we get to go through his childhood a little bit, um, where we learn about his mother and his father and, uh, what kind of king and queen they were. Um, and then, uh, very quickly Roland descends to being king. Um, and they're very worried about him. Uh, his lineage and him someone having someone to ascend the throne he and he is as well um, but he just doesn't have it, you know it's not he seems asexual if you were to like put a term to it in a modern sense he's not interested in sex he's interested in hunting and he's interested in drinking and he's interested in going out and like hanging out with people and getting to know the poor folk and like sex and stuff just doesn't do it for him what were you going to say? I feel like that's accurate. No, I feel yeah. like that's 100% accurate. <laughs> um, and I feel like if you were to read this book, and like I could see like a lot of people being like, oh, Roland's gay, or like pushing that kind of like idea on him. I don't feel like Stephen King would have been scared to have talked about that. Uh, in no, because he's, proven that, he's um, proven that he's not scared of that at all. Roland uh, ends up marrying a young girl named Sasha. And Sasha is really sweet, really smart, really kind. Um, and around this time, we are also introduced to an evil magician named Flag. Um, bum, bum, bum. Uh, and around this part, it's in like the first, uh, you know, like couple of chapters. And that's when I screamed. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, and I was very excited. And then because uh, I love Randy. Randy is such a good character. He's so interesting. And uh, I'm very excited about like what he brings to the table. Um, and... Uh, we find out that Randy hates Sasha quite a bit. Um, and during the course of Roland and Sasha's marriage, uh, he she gives birth to a first child named Peter. And then she gives birth to a second child named Thomas. And during that birth, she dies. Um, you know, and this is... All of these facts are presented to you in ways that's like, these are things that happened, and it's all presented in a way that's like, man, everything looks really bad and lame and awful, doesn't it? Well, actually, it turns out everything 
everybody that seems bad right now, it's all been responsible by Flag. Flag's done all of this stuff. He did this and this and this to make this happen. Um, and, you know, so you're introduced, and now that you have all of that fam- familial information, Peter has been locked up for killing the king, and he is locked up in the needle for the rest of his life. Thomas has ascended to the throne, and Sasha died giving birth to Thomas. And when you get... In, it's it's much you know we talk about this in the revival episodes this timeline and story is more complex than the revival was yes it is like, it absolutely like, is like the literary devices that are used are more complex um which to me speaks volumes about what he perceived as his 14 year old daughter's comprehension level a hundred percent um, yeah, it's great. And, you know, it's a lot of shifting timelines and stuff, so it's hard to do a recap. But through the course of uh, this Roland's life, we find out that he was a great hunter and he once killed a dragon. And when he killed this dragon, he ended up taking it down, taxidermying its head and putting that head up on its wall. At some point, Flag put a passage into that wall and you could go, man, this is not going well. I don't feel like... Uh, this recap is as good as I want it to be. I might. Is it okay if I restart the recap? Yep. All right, cool. Um, all right, so Eyes of the Dragon. We're introduced right away to uh, Roland the Good, and you find out he's just a good, kind-hearted king, and he's a, a fan of the people, and he has an advisor named Flag. And that's right, it's Randy Flag, and I was very excited about it and uh, screamed a little bit, in fact. Um, and from that point on, you just we're kind of watching. You learn a little bit about Roland's childhood and about his family, but then you, you move on very quickly and you realize that's not the focus. And you learn about Roland's getting becoming king, marrying off to a woman named Sasha, who's a very young, sweet girl. She has two children with Roland, Peter and Thomas, and then during Thomas's birth, she dies. Um... As we go through the story, it is the two boys growing up, Peter demonstrating a ton of capabilities of being king. In fact, people call him the coming of the white, which is something that I want to talk about later. I thought it was a really interesting concept, especially something that we already looked at in the stand. So as uh, Peter is coming up, Thomas is coming up right behind him, extremely jealous and living in his shadow. And Flag takes advantage of that and becomes Thomas's friend and starts to coax him and teach him little things. So constantly in Thomas's mind, he feels like he's being rebuked and hurt by his father um, when really it's just misunderstanding. And he starts to spy on his father in a secret passage shown to him by Flag himself. And as their childhood develops, um, you know, Thomas isn't a bad kid. And the narrator goes to links to tell you that like, bad kids that do bad like kids that do bad things aren't always bad like they just sometimes have really bad circumstances and they don't know how to take out their anger in other ways and thomas does some bad things um and then all of a sudden you're thrown backwards in time to when all of this started and you find out that randy flag actually poisoned um sasha during or uh, not poisoned, she didn't poison. He uh, had saved he, a midwife. He bribed the midwife. Mm-hmm. Uh, he saved a midwife's child and then said, "You'll do this for me." 
so during the delivery, the midwife uh, ends up assassinating Sasha. Sasha passes away. And then we find out, and it's all at the same time. It's a really cool way of how he does it, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later. But Stephen King essentially is using the past of telling Randall Flagg coming and starting his plot to assassinate the king while simultaneously telling you it from a first-person present perspective in Peter's point of view, or Thomas's point of view. So you get these two intersecting points of view about how Roland is eventually assassinated by Randall Flagg. Randall Flagg pins the entire murder on Peter. Peter ends up locked in the needle, the prison, for the rest of his life, just as Thomas is crowned king, exactly as Randall Flagg wanted. And that's where I stopped reading. I feel like yeah. that, was a mu- yeah, that was a much better recap. I feel a lot better about that. Yeah, that was um, really good. And there's a lot of stuff that we got to go into and a lot of really good, interesting things. Um, I love this book, dude. It's super cool. Um, yeah, it it's... I. It's got a, a soft spot for me because, again, when it came out, I was about the same age that his daughter was when he wrote it for her. So, so it was, felt like it was written for you. Felt like it was written for me. And I really, really it love me, that. It throws me back to like my early reading days of like reading Aragon and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just a good old fashioned uh, medieval fantasy situation. I love uh, just Sword and Shield a lot, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, just getting started right into it, I think one thing, um, just to clarify, like we usually do, I am reading the Book of the Month Club edition from 1987. It is a paperback, and it has illustrations by a man named Christopher Fowler. Christopher Palladini, Palladini, mm-hmm. or David Palladini. David Palladini. <laughs> Christopher Poloni is the guy that wrote it yeah. on. Um, Very similar. Yeah, and eighty-seven. Uh, blah blah blah. Dedicated to Ben and Naomi King. We get a really cool. Um, I think it's supposed to be like, and it's it's just an illustration of like a dragon and a Pegasus. Uh, I'm sure just to represent those two children. It's a Pegasus. It has wings. But it's a unicorn because it has a horn. I think. I, I feel like. We can get in, <laughs> hold on. It's just the mythological. I feel like the wings are more important than the horn. Because, like, it, you know what I mean? I know you're Googling it to find out, so that's fine. I am. <laughs> a unicorn with wings is called an alaricorn. Hmm. Okay. Well, there we go. Now we know. Um, and uh, you get this. Uh, and he employs during this first section again, um, just because it's such a loose timeline. They're very short, quick chapters. Um, you know, it's just segments of what these people experience. So that way he can get to the bulk of the story, which now that we're kind of, you know, at the, the tippity top of the story pyramid and we're falling into this denouement, which seems to be some kind of uh, comeuppance for flag via uh, Peter. Peter's definitely got to escape and he's got to get out and he's got to, you know, uh, eventually convince Thomas to turn to the side of good and uh, beat up Randy with him. And he's got friends like Ben. Uh, Ben's a good friend. Ben will help him out. Ben believes him. Um, mm-hmm. But we're getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to that at the end. Um, like I said, though, we start off and it immediately starts to tell us about Roland the Good. 
Um, and, you know, Roland, he's not a bad king. He's not a great king. He's, he's just a good king. He's a good man. He's not trying to hurt anyone. He's not trying to cause war. Um, but he's not particularly brilliant, and he's not particularly courageous. Um, he likes to hunt a lot, though. Um, and what's fun through this first chapter, it's literally like, what, this one page long, and it tells you everything you need to know pretty much about this story. and like to About the you, history of it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's like a one page. You probably could have read this, and that would have been a... Yeah, and then I could have skipped to where we're at now and have been like, all right, I'm ready. Um, and you find out Peter's in the needle, um, murdered by his son, and there's a man named Flag, and that Flag wanted to make sure that Thomas would be crowned king, and the king was okay, and he tried really hard to make sure he was nice to everyone. And then you go into chapter two, and now we get into Flag, uh, into, um, um, you know, it, it starts off right as he is becoming king in this story um mm-hmm. and he doesn't have a wife or any sons so they're worried about the lineage because you know uh monarchies are very uh, historically based on bloodlines right um, and you know his mom was hale and he- roland's mother was hale and healthy and so, you know, he was just able to go along and live his life the way he wanted to because nobody was worried about her dying. And she had become queen after her husband had died. Mm-hmm. Um, and when uh, he eventually becomes king, he ends up being forced into marriage with a woman named Sasha. And Sasha is very sweet and she's very smart and she's very cunning. She's just that charming, loving presence. Everyone loves her. Everybody wants to be around her. They want to know her. Well, and she's unassuming, you know, she's from a small barony, and she's really young. So Flag picked her because he thought that he could control the situation still. Yep. Um, and, you know, he, he talks, there's a very, uh, a very, it was a very wholesome story for some reason in the first 10 pages of this like young adult fantasy novel of this woman losing of her their virginity. wedding night yep <laughs> and the line the king's iron mm-hmm. gets me i laughed out loud i it was the funniest thing i'd ever heard i would have been killed if i was in this situation uh, right but i'm sure uh, i'm not the only one that thought this was funny i think it's very the way it's written, though, is very wholesome. It's very cute, and it really sets up the entirety of the marriage. You know, Roland isn't trying to take advantage of this 17-year-old girl. And, you know, this 17-year-old girl is... She's 17. She and naive. she's naive and not worldly. And, you know, it's you could... going to be learning a lot. Right. And, and from the very... I mean, I think it's important that it's there because it shows from the very beginning, the very first night that he was gentle and loved her. Yeah. And I think it talks too of just about how much the love grew for her and how much mm-hmm. Roland grew to uh, just really appreciate having her around at all moments. Um, we get this really fun scene uh, after, um, you know, uh, you were introduced to Sasha. Sasha and Roland get married and Sasha has a nice little dollhouse and Roland makes her a dollhouse and brings her there and it just kind of starts to cement the relationship and we start to learn about how 
no matter how hard Roland tried, he still wasn't that sexually interested in anything. Um, you know, and it goes at great lengths to like really point out he just he just didn't like it just wasn't sex. his thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. he wasn't into it. Um, but he still tried constantly with Sasha, and it's very um, it's very sex positive about women in the eighties. And right. it's like, you know, some places they think that women don't enjoy sex, but that's silly. Here, women love sex, and of course they do. It feels great. Of course women would like sex. That's great for them. And so Roland, being a good partner and a good husband, would make sure that he would please Sasha whenever he needed to. And I was just like, wow, that's a very sex-positive message from the 80s. Good mm-hmm. job, Steve. Uh, and uh from there, we find out about how Flag was giving Roland these uh, basically like stimulants to help him, you know, help his sex drive. And like mm-hmm. they would work, but they would work that well. Um, but then there was one night after he had slayed a dragon. Um, and it recounts the story of how this uh, baby dragon pops out from behind um, some uh, a giant ledge. And if it had been any bigger or if Roland had uh, just hesitated for one second longer, everybody would have been killed. But Roland was quick and courageous and immediately stepped forward and slayed the dragon. So they mount its head in his uh, throne room, in his main chambers. And uh, he is Ate the just... dragon's heart. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that part because that that's, was dope. That's very important. Is it that important? Okay, okay. I mean... Good. No, it, it is. That's fine. I like it. It was because he says, uh, and he rips out his heart and he eats it raw, like all of those before him. Um, oh my God, is he not gonna be that? He ate the dragon heart, and since the dragons, oh Kim, you're right. Nice. Okay, I see. I see where <laughs> this is going. Um, so I think, uh, and. He does this immediately before he has either of his, uh, before Peter is born either. So mm-hmm. that's really important too. So that night he goes out, he slays his dragon, eats its heart, comes back, makes beautiful love to Sasha, and gives Without birth, the potion from Flag. Without the potion from Flag, which obviously is causing him to be impotent. And uh, they have Peter. Um, yeah, it says nine months later, nine months later, one month for each chamber of the dragon's heart. Peter was born. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of dragon illusion. I'm not going to lie. It kind of went over my head now that we're reading back through it. I'm glad that we're (laughs) pointing it out. Good points. Good points. Um, And I think, too, um, I've been wanting to start doing, uh, really focusing on, like, the overall themes that are being presented to us um, just in the novels that we read. And I think that, you Mm -hmm. know, we're seeing a lot of uh, Stephen King's showing us traditionalism, a lot of traditionalism and, like, monarchies and bloodlines and what do you do for your family and loyalty um right and i think he's also just kind of showing a lot of classism um will be presented throughout this and i think um go ahead yeah he does and i think that one of the things and you'll find is that the way he does it it actually works out to be really beautiful um and ultimately, you'll see that in in the next half of the book. But it comes back to it's really important that um, Roland really loved the people, the common people. And I know that you read about that, you know, right. in this section. So 
No, it talks about so many times where he goes to different parties and events that mm-hmm. normally a king would just show up and say, hey, what's up? And then they'd leave. But Rollins right. was the type of king where he would be the last one to leave and he'd sit there and chat with everybody and get super drunk and cheer on all the events that were happening and everything and just wanted to be part of the group. And he was glad that he was, I think to me, the way that they described Roland's childhood, he doesn't seem like he's particularly... He seems ostracized, and he seems very lonely. And when he finally yeah. becomes king, he uses that power instead of like getting back at anyone. He just forces everyone to include him in everything. <laughs> he's well, like, oh, you're doing a thing? I'm going to be there the whole time. You're my friend now. And I, know, I don't think that... I don't think forced is the right word. He just... his When he was a kid, he was... You know, he was the prince. He was the king in training. He was only allowed to do certain things. But then when he got to make his own decisions, just like the rest of us, we do what we want. And he did what he wanted. And what he wanted to do was to be involved. He wanted to be there. I don't. I never felt like anything um, was forced. I feel like that he was just included because he really was a, a simple person and wanted to be involved in his kingdom yeah and he makes a big deal about how deeply he wants to be involved too and i think it Mm -hmm. shows sasha and peter are very close um they only get like what seven five years years, five years together five he was only five but in that time uh he learns a lot from his mother um and the only big excerpts that we get from his time with his mother is the time that she taught him about etiquette and about how he must always use a napkin. And uh, normally it would feel like just a nice little heartwarming story. But at the end of the chapter, and it is so ominous, it says, and this is the end of chapter six on page 22, it says, they never did, but Peter never forgot the lesson. He always used his napkin, even Mm -hmm. when those around him did not, which got me to thinking, is this whole book just to make sure that Naomi uses napkins? (laughs) uh no okay just making sure uh i don't know her personally maybe at 14 she was particularly messy and she was not did not enjoy a napkin with her meal uh and steve here is just like naomi use a napkin um but i digress that's just a silly little tangent um so we get into uh the the next couple of chapters and the timeline starts gets real messy uh sasha dies and we start to just learn about Sasha and how uh, she didn't have a dollhouse and all of these well, things. But and I think that this house. section is important to show Roland, to give Roland humanity. In the way that he provides the dollhouse for her? Yeah, yeah. Because Sasha had a dollhouse when she was at home in the Western Barony and it was really fabulous. And she mentioned it to Roland. So he had a replacement one commissioned for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the one that she left behind, she was, you know, she wasn't a particularly like wealthy woman. Um, you know, she was a child as well. So her parents didn't get her anything particularly fancy, but it was a really pretty one. It was really nice and she loved it. This one is the the fanciest, nicest thing that's ever existed, it seems. It's got, like, a working water pump and a working loom, and it's got a, a bed and everything. And it's not just, like, fake and versions. And a working stove. Yeah, they're real 
versions of these things. Like they could bake little cakes in it, I imagine, and stuff like that. Um, and he gives it to her on the at the wedding party. And, you know, she doesn't get as much chances to play with it because she's a grown-up now. Uh, but it leaves a lasting impression for her. Uh, and they talk just about how... You're right, I think it does give that humanity, but I think it also just points to, like, the familial bonds that Roland is creating with her, too. Like, what mm-hmm. he's like, like, yeah, he's got that humanity, but he's also trying really, really hard for this woman to, like, make right. her feel as involved as she can be. He just um, wants to be good. He wants to be a good husband. He wants to be a good father. He wants to be good at things. Which is a really nice sentiment, just to know that, like, this man's entire, like, life amounts to him wanting to be a good person. Um... So, um, at one point, we get this um, story about how Peter liked to play with the dollhouse, and nobody cared, but Roland seemed, no, not Roland, Flag seemed Flag. to care for some reason, and Flag was like, your lord, my lord, he shouldn't play with the dollhouse, it'll turn him into a sissy, and you know... I like that it is the evil character using gay panic uh, mm-hmm. just to kind of really illustrate like how despicable a t- of a tactic it is, just kind of how gross it is. Right. And uh, it is uh, something, you know, and the king thinks about it for a really long time and he's not sure and he watches him play. And the thing that ends up really selling it for Roland is he's playing with the dollhouse one he's not telling like any like stories that make him feel like that he's telling stories of like war and everything like this so he and feels pirates like, and yeah he the says, king's guard and it's like just wherever he chooses to play doesn't change like what he's doing he's still himself and then two he's like by playing with the dollhouse it keeps his mother alive for him and I think that that's really beautiful so he tells flag to mind his own business essentially and get out of here uh, and and it's important, I think, also to show that he stood up to flag in this. I don't think there's ever a point where Roland doesn't want or couldn't stand up to flag. I just don't think I think something had to have happened like really like where flag and Roland like just had like a good time together. And like, I don't know. Roland's just trust this man a lot. And, you know, he's giving him lots of potions all the time. So maybe that's mm-hmm. what it is. Um, and there's lots of that control there. And Roland is pretty simple and easy. So I'm sure, like, you know, well, he's... And I think he's also... He he wants to do the right things. And he knows that he's not the smartest person. And so he trusts Flag to be a, a good advisor Right. Because and I think that that all comes back to the fact that, you know, he's a simple, trusting person. And so he doesn't see. He assumes the best of everybody. And then in the shadows, we find out that Flag is getting very upset about Sasha in general, starting to, you know, Roland is starting to listen to her on matters and starting to hear what she has to say on things and tending to side with her. He's finding so he's getting very upset with it, and we get a couple of scenes of him attempting to poison her to really just set up the plot that 
Roland is trying to kill this woman. Um, you know, and it's flag. Flag is or, trying to well, kill her. Geez, old Pete's flag is trying to kill this woman. Thank you. Um, to really set up the plot that flag is trying to kill this woman, and the way that it's all being set up right now is just so interesting because the storyteller has chosen to tell us that these things already happened and now he's Mm -hmm. giving us the he's saying the results and then giving us the story which really is an interesting thing to look at like what a literary device to use right um especially when you're you're trying to hook people into your story um and it really it makes you think like okay if like Roland's like if or Roland if flag killing all of these people and planning this poisoning is happening in thirty five pages, what is this four hundred page book about? Right. <laughs> and right. so, um, you know, in that next and then as you're getting into this, it almost in itself to answer that question, he says, "Now why don't we get into Peter?" And it, he starts and flags. It starts from flag's point of view. He's kind of scared of Peter because Peter will grow up to be a strong, courageous king that will probably kick Randy out. He'll be mm-hmm. like, Randy, I don't need you. Get out of here. Like, you're obviously, like, hindering things more than helping things. Right. Um, because as Peter grows up, you know, Flag can see that he's, you know, he's smarter than Roland. He His studies come to him easy. And he's he's more like Sasha than uh, Roland. Right. And uh, we get uh, Peter ends up becoming our main character for a few chapters. And we learn about how he met Ben at a farmer's market. And like this, you know, illustrates that Roland is bringing Peter up in a way that makes him, uh, you know, have to pretty much communicate and talk and hang out with the common folk, which is completely juxtaposed to how Roland was brought up. He was separated from those people. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that it's just the way that it's interesting to the way that King is choosing to show how parents will ch- kind of give their children the things that they were never given or the things that they wanted, but they weren't able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stephen does uh, a really good job there, I think, with the way the generational, the generation's communicate in this book well and i think that it's also um important that roland is giving peter all of these experiences with the commoners because ultimately it will make him a better king yeah i don't know that 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 is actually roland's intention but that's what's going to happen by just the the life experience yeah 100 percent um, and we also find out, we meet Ben here, Ben Stodd, and Ben is just uh, Peter's best friend. They win a fun little stack race here, and um, they become best friends from then on ever. Um, and, you know, there is some, there is a little couple of in, uh, excerpts that are like, and, you know, some people didn't like that uh, the prince was friends with such a common boy, but you know what, those people suck, and they should, like, leave them alone. And that was, yes. like, pretty much how the whole paragraph went. Um, and so the next thing that happens is kind of, you know, we're going to get two stories now of each of these boys. We're going to get a big story about Peter now, 
And then we're going to get introduced to Thomas. And then we're going to get a big story about Thomas. And then Mm -hmm. these two are going to just kind of be introduced into their part of the show, into their part of the novel, into the story. And now they're going to be starting to really be weaved into the web. But this first uh, story, um, and I think it's very, they're really, really, I think that one of the like really cool things about this novel is I feel like if I had a brother, I'd be really connecting with it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure it shows like a certain like brotherly love. I do feel a certain sense in my little sister uh, in like some of the things and like the ways that like they connect so far. Um, mm-hmm. And I really like just the way that it's written. You can tell that it's written off his children that he has that uh, like he just listens to Bicker every day. <laughs> right. Uh, and it, it does, it plays really well. Um, and it fits right into that theme. Uh, you know, this is in some ways uh, starting to become a growing of age story. Like, you know, yeah. growing up and um, like embracing the responsibilities that you have to embrace, even if you don't want to, especially when we get to Thomas at the end of this section. Yeah. Well, and I love the the story about Peter and the groom and the horse. Yeah. And that's like uh, what's about to, that's what we're getting into now if you want to retell mm-hmm. it. So um, Peter comes upon Yosef, the king's head groom, um, who is about to kill a horse because it has a broken leg. And that was accepted treatment. <laughs> um, not treatment, but that was how that was positive. handled. I'm and that's honestly that's something they still do. That's what I was about to um, say. I'm pretty sure that's still like euthanize, euthanizing a horse is still a pretty common practice, especially a racehorse. Right, right, because their their bones. Bec- well, yeah, Not because horses, people are terrible. People no, people are terrible, and a- and there are a lot of potential complications and a lot of problems that can be caused for a horse with a broken leg, but. What Peter does is he gets somebody else's opinion and then he takes care of the horse until it's healed and then it's his horse. And he he used his place as the prince to do it, to, to get this exception made, but not in a whiny petulant way not in a selfish way and not in a petulant way he's like it was a very self-aware way it is yes i am going to be the king you regardless of if you want to listen to me or not if you don't you're gonna just we're both you're gonna regret it my dude like why wouldn't you just listen to me and right i mean peter doesn't say any of that obviously he just is very he's he's not commanding but he's very firm right Um, and you know, the the groom says, your father shall hear of this, my princeling. And he, Peter's response was, and when he hears it from you, it will be for the second time. Because I'm going to go tell him first. Right. Like, you're not going to be, like, surprised at my father trying to tell him that I've done something bad. Like, I'm going to tell him about what I did. Because I'm right. honorable in the things that I'm doing. And um, after he saves the horse and he does, uh, you know, and he's pretty much told, like, if you're going to, like, take the care of this horse, like, no one else is going to do this. you got to put on these poultices every day or three times a day and really take care of it. And everything happens. Um, the horse is A-OK and he's fine. Um, and Peter goes to tell his father. And as he's walking in to tell his father, he's thinking, you know, he, he knows he's going to be beaten. 
just because you know that is the traditional uh, punishment for a prince and for children in even up until like the 80s and sadly uh, 1980s but um, so he's going to be beaten for interfering with his elders but Roland does it himself um, right which Peter recognizes as a high honor and I think it's just really interesting all of these real traditionalist things that are being set up here you know Uh, and I really feel like uh, they're being set up to be torn down you know, all of these traditionalist landscapes, all of these, like, things that, you know, Peter shouldn't have been beaten for saving a horse. That doesn't make any sense. And everybody, all of the readers are feeling that and thinking that. Um, even right. Roland ac- acknowledges that. But you have to. Because you, you, because that's did this. tradition. Yeah. And tradition is what you have to do. Um, and it's a really interesting, uh, I like, the, the anti-establishment uh, feeling that I'm getting as I read through this young adult novel, uh, young adult aimed novel mm-hmm. by Steve. Um, so after Peter saves the horse and he's beaten, um, we are introduced to Tommy, little Thomas. And um, Thomas is, he's not a three dimensional character, he's eight dimensional. He's got. A twenty-sided die of dimensions, and every really side of does. him is trying is just he is an anxious, shy, isolated, lonely, uh, just kind of overshadowed little brother. Uh, and a lot of it too, you know, he is overshadowed in some ways, just because a lot of it is expected of Peter because he's going to be king. But a lot of it, you can tell, is a little bit of just mental illness and trauma from his upbringing he was born when his through a dead woman essentially right yeah his mom died and and people blame him blamed him right even though that was not him right and and so thomas just went through a lot when he was like four years old Um, right well and it's got to be hard to be the little brother who is you know shy and awkward and not as good as his studies and you know to the quote-unquote perfect older brother you know who's smart and witty and perfect in right from his perspective perfect peter right um so we're treating the story from thomas's perspective about how he has carved a sailboat for his father he goes to give it to his father um, because he remembers this cute moment from when he was real young of him and his dad out on the lake uh, doing sailboat stuff and then a carp ate it. And he was like, whoa, that was the coolest thing that's ever happened. Son, greater than any sea story that's ever happened. And Thomas is just yearning for a moment of connection with his father like that. He goes and he gives him this sailboat and he's Roland's like, oh, this is cool. What is it? A canoe? And he was like, no, it's a sailboat. Can't you see it? It's even got a sail on it. And he was like, oh, I thought it was someone's washing. Uh, so it does not go well. Thomas, Tommy goes to leave. And as he's leaving, Roland says something about how it looks bad. And then he thinks out uh, privately, uh, it looks like something that I would have made myself. But what but he, he heard, doesn't say that out loud. What yeah. Thomas heard was, it looks like a turd. Yep, that's all Tommy hears. Tommy just hears his dad saying that his boat he worked on for days and cut his fingers up for just looks like a dog turd. And uh, so he's real hurt about it. 
And as he's walking home that night, he finds a random dog. And he just throws rocks at the dog until it's dead to take out his anger. Because he doesn't have any good coping mechanisms or anyone to really rely on. Except for, you guessed it, Randy Flagg. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, too, these stories are all kind of the same, but very different, obviously. Um, I think they're both about these two brothers. They are met with a challenge, and they have to use their wits and their skills to overcome this challenge. Peter succeeds, but is still punished. Uh, And Thomas uh, fails, is punished mentally, I guess, too. But then he goes out and Peter takes his punishment. uh, You know, he takes it internally and understands it and acknowledges it and accepts it. And like, you know, he's able to move on and past it and through it. Thomas takes all of that failure and that trauma and he pushes that right into his heart, into his chest. And he stores it up into a tiny little box of resentment and hate. Mm -hmm. And he sees that dog and he takes it out on that dog. Um, And, you know, if I think that if Peter was in this situation, and he's met with that challenge, and he fails. I think Peter goes and makes a better boat. I think that's what we you would see from Peter. Right. And because even though it was only five years, Peter had the time with his mother, you know, and Thomas had nannies yeah. who, you know, were there for the paycheck, who and didn't makes... really show him love and compassion in the same way a, a mother would. And yeah. I mean, yes, it was only for five years, but it was something that Peter had that Thomas never got. Absolutely. Um, and I think, too, that... Uh, uh, oh, it, it brings a point, too, to talk about when Sasha is still alive, that she was the one that always wanted to be taking care of Peter. So mm-hmm. she did have a lot of hands-on experience with him. Um, oh, man. We're at... 45 minutes already. Okay. And we're on chapter yeah. 17. We're okay, not doing so. too bad. No. Um, so, uh, um, okay, so, so now we go ahead. You do it. I was going to say, the next chapter is where we get uh, um, Flag's backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, and he you know, come... it's, I, I, was, I was just going to say, it's eerily similar to his intro in the stand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, and then there's Flag. He's here. He's been known as this. He's been known as this. He's done these terrible things. You know him as Randy Flag. He's also been known as this or this. Give it mm-hmm. up for Bias or uh, what's his real name? Legion himself. And in right. uh, it's. I think it's super cool how Randy is just this omnipresent figure in all of these like sword and sorcery stories that he is just such a like terrible awful person that anything that's harnessed in like a real natural world uh randy can show up there um right and any and and he shows up every so often just to wreak havoc just to cause problems right and this is like what nine years after the stand too so uh Mm And then immediately after this, uh, Drawing of the Three comes out. So, I'm, you know, Flag's uh, probably been on his mind quite a bit. And I think it shows here. Right. Um, 
so we find out a bunch about Flag's backstory, and um, I think that, you know, I have one of my sticky notes here just to talk about something that uh, I know is uh, mentioned in The Gunslinger, uh, and it was mentioned in The Stand, um, but it talks about Peter, and it has this brief section where it talks about how some people call him the coming of the white on page 66. Um, in him, they saw the coming of the white, that ancient, resilient, yet humble force that has redeemed humankind again and again and again. Um, yeah, and I just, you know, that's a concept that Stephen King's got everywhere. Uh, yep. And it's something that pops up here again. Uh, so we're on the black and white lookout, uh, looking for all the black and the white and all of those just uh, energies of blackness and uh, evil and badness and white and good and whatever. Um, right. And Flag is like, well, if he's got rumors to be that, I got to kill him. I got to get him out of the way. Right. Um, and so he just kind of, in the middle of the night, he sits up and he has this brilliant idea that he's going to he's gonna assassinate Roland and he's going to frame Peter for it. And oh, okay. I, th- I think it's I'm really, sorry. for a row of pins, a very short row with that, I'd kill you myself for all the trouble you and your stupid wife and elder son have caused me. The joy of killing you would almost be worth the ruin of my plans. So he he's at the point that he knows that Roland and, you know, the late Sasha and Peter are really, he's already been there too long. He's already right. been there, they say, 76 years. And so people are starting to talk about that this guy's not natural. They know he's not natural. But, and, and so that's what is kind of the catalyst is, you know, he's there to wreak havoc. And it looks like he's not going to get that because peter's too strong because peter's got his own mind so we end up uh and just i think like uh i'm gonna recap some of this just like what how he gets i don't know a lot of this now there's not a lot more to read into than just understanding the actions that happen right uh, you know, we've really set up some good characters. We know a lot about them, um, and we're 70-something pages in. And now, Flag is going to murder him. So, Roland. Flag... Flag is going to murder Roland. Roland, yes. And so he decides to use poison. And, you know, there's a fun little passage uh, that's about how poison is the most frequently used to commit regicide. And I really... There was a passage that stuck with me. I liked it a lot. Um, and he uses this particular poison called Dragon Sand. And it is from a uh, place called Quay or Qua or something along those lines. Um, Gren, the desert Gren. of Gren. Gren. I, uh, and you can say, you don't have to say anything. I do imagine this is going to be a location that shows up or has already shown up that we didn't realize that that's what this was. Um, and he takes this sand and the sand when it is just somewhere it can completely burn you from the inside out um so he's going to dissolve it into some wine and have roland drink it we'll see and this is that is how this is going to happen but what's important to know here is that peter is now 16 and he uses part of his allowance to buy wine 
to take to his father every night. They go and they sit and they have a glass of wine together every night and talk. Exactly. So yep. It, so there's, you know, Flag got this plan. He's going to dissolve this poison in wine and go visit the king after Peter. So there's um, the setup. And he's just like, I'm going to take advantage of this. I'm going to go in there after Peter. I'm going to give him a glass of wine. And then I'm going to leave. And then it's going to look like Peter poisoned him with wine. And he's like, oh. And so, you know, as the reader, you just like, but Peter doesn't like how that's not going to look like that. I don't know how anybody's going to think that. But okay. Uh, And you start to get into it. But I really want to take a quick interrupt because... We need to talk about like what we have coming up and what else is going on. Oh yeah, stuff. yeah. Because we haven't done that yet. Welcome uh, to the intermission, where if you're out there and you're listening along, why don't you go ahead and uh, don't stop your car or anything? That seems like a bad plan. But take a drink of your water. Don't forget to stay hydrated today. Um, take any of your medicines. Don't forget to take all your meds today. Uh, brush your teeth. Don't pick at your skin too much. Don't hurt yourself. I don't know. Other ones. Um, good. All the good advice. All the good advice. The general ones. Welcome to our <laughs> advice podcast where we give you general advice. Um, also, uh, Thank you for listening to Eyes of the Dragon. Really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed our uh, bookmark episode. We were really proud of it. It was pretty... Um, I liked it a lot. I thought it was good. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think I hope that everybody enjoys it, enjoys listening to it as much as I enjoyed uh, just Putting getting a chance to kind of talk. Yeah. Um, um, we are recording this back-to-back with that, so we can't actually give any feedback from how that went. Um, but I, uh, I am excited to see what you guys all have to say. And don't worry, bookmark two, we will talk about what you said. Um... Speaking of, this episode that you are currently listening to has came out on July 29th. So next week, uh, starting into August, you're going to hear our next bookmark episode. Um, and then after that... The second half of... The 12th, you're going to hear yeah. Eyes of the Dragon 2, where we're going to finish our conclusion uh, of uh, whatever happens to Peter's being threaded through the needle. Um and uh, we'll figure all of that out and figure out if I hate Thomas or if I end up adoring him a lot. I really hope I like Thomas as much as I think I'm going to. Um, then on the 19th, bookmark three. And then on August 26th, we will be doing the finale of season one of uh, First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock. Uh, very excited about it. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, I don't I mean, I'm really thinking, so uh, if you have any suggestions for what we should do, Kim, I was going to pitch some suggestions at you real quick. Um, I think we should go back and, like, re-rank, or, like, not re-rank, but, like, look at, like, our official rankings for everything so far. And, like, put them, like, in an order there and just, like, recap season one. Um, Go through uh, and see. uh, I kind of, I'm going to post a, I want to post a thing on Facebook and just be like, is there anything you guys think we've missed over, like, the last couple of episodes or any of these things that you think we should focus on? And uh, just kind of celebrate getting through uh, 25 episodes. Well, and we're going to also do the breathing method. Oh, and we're going to do 
a final season finale story that I have fallen in love with. I love that story. I have just finished it last night. Uh, I think it's going to be really good. Um, man, it's really cool. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, and I'm excited to... Uh, I'm excited just to get into season two. We have some good stuff planned. We do. It's going to be fun. So um, we'll have the bookmarks. And the, the last, I think the last bookmark of season one is where we'll do all those, the synopsis, the, you know, the, the review our rankings and talk about uh, just a recap. Yeah. I think that's pretty much uh, all that we have really coming out. Um, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Patreon and Twitter, please. And uh, rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcast and Spotify Podcast. Uh, it really helps us a lot. And that's pretty much all we got. Anything else that you have, Kim? I think that's it. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to get to wrap this up and, and kind of regroup and, and start the new season. Yeah. Um, and if you have any requests or questions or need to contact us in any way, please do that on Facebook or at first time through podcast at gmail.com. All right. And back to Ives of the Dragon. left you mere minutes ago uh i wanted to stop and talk about something that i found particularly interesting and something that i think is going to be very important to the world building of the stephen king universe and it's the explanation of magic uh did you yes yeah it's yes, really, yes yes it's absolutely really interesting it's really worth like and i really like i took the time to like really go down and like like read through it right and, you know, the first thing that you learn about is just the different kinds of schools of magic. Um, he says that there are uh, three kinds of magic, um, and they're usually just spoken of pretty carelessly, turning lead into gold, changing one's shape, and making oneself invisible. And he says, turning lead into gold, super possible. You just have to know the right names to call on. Which makes me think of Roland when he talks about calling names or when the stars would say, I'm pretty sure one of those uh, ancillary characters said something along those lines. And mm-hmm. just confirming for me that this is the same magical world. You know, we already have these characters in this build or like world. And so it's just confirmed for me now that like this is uh, the same magical world too. It's the same universe essentially for me. Yeah. Um, and he talks about how it's impossible to change your shape. He once saw a man who was able to uh, change his shape, he claimed. And when he tried, he ended up just growing his nose to be nine feet tall. I do feel that Randy Flagg in the Tower series has obviously figured this trick out. So this is a much younger Randy than mm-hmm. in the Dark Towers for me. I agree. Um and then the other one is the one that I think is the most important that I think we'll see a lot more often. I think we'll, I think it's already been used before and we just never realized it. Um, but it's just, he's, invisibility is impossible, but there is a way to make himself dim and make it so that way you, people just don't notice you as you walk by. 
Um, and so you just kind of blur out a vision as they look at you and that kind of stuff. And I think that, that is something that I can see Randy Flagg having done while they were climbing up the mountains um, and mm-hmm. in the, the waterfall area. I think that that and then he just kind of appears out of nowhere. I think that that we've already seen the use of this spell in particular. Um, right, right. And so just the fact that like that magic is explained here and it's things that you can extrapolate and take and apply to other parts of his world really particularly well done and I enjoy it a lot I enjoy yes. those big connective tissues quite a bit um, Thomas uh, becomes our focus for a little bit because we learn of a secret passage Thomas has been using to spy on Roland that flag showed him and in this passage behind a uh, secret knob behind a secret door that flips up is a secret looky hole through the eyes of the dragon Roland has slain earlier in the story. And in those eyes, there's these tinted glass balls, and Thomas can look directly through them and see what's happening in Roland's private main chamber. Um, and Flag shows him all this. And Flag himself even says, I don't know why I showed you this. Uh, I don't know why I showed any showed him this. It was right. just, you he know, says. If you'd asked Flag straight out why he had shown Thomas that place and the secret passageway that led to it, he would have been able to give you no very satisfactory answer. He doesn't even know why he did it. He just felt like that was going to be something that would endear Thomas to him. Right. And it's interesting, too, because it's, uh, it's just shoehorned in here in the middle of this assassination attempt. And you're mm-hmm. like... Steve, what are you doing? We're reading about this guy getting poisoned. Like, let's focus up here a little bit. Why are you telling me about Tommy right now? You know, and you just kind of expect it to just be like, uh, you know, it's a side story. Like, Tommy's coming in through something. And so you're waiting for that side story to intersect. Um, And as Peter brings in his glass of wine, his dad's like, I heard you got a girly girl. Like, have fun. Like, be soft and gentle and have, like... Like unlimited sex with your energy of being young, which is a weird thing for your dad to say to you. But I mean, this is these times, you know. Right. And uh, well, and Roland's not very sophisticated. No, to say the least, he is not a he's not a thinky man. He's not heady at all. He is he is just go out there and have it. Do good, son. Do good. Right. Um. And uh, as he. Uh, leaves Flag comes in about 20 minutes afterwards gives him this wine and we have been treated to before this wine is given to us just a meticulous like two chapters of preparation of how he brushes it onto obsidian and as soon as it gets onto the obsidian the glass starts to smolder into the obsidian um, and all of these things um, and as he gives it to him, we get, I think this is one of my favorite, like, little small chapters. I think I've, uh, there's a lot of magic and stuff that Flag does, and there's a lot of, like, character-defining things that mm-hmm. Thomas sees here. Here, um, in this in chapter that, like, 28. Little, in chapter 28. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's about Roland being overly drunk and yelling at people, and it, he kind of... You know, when you're alone, 
and you don't think anyone's looking at you, you're going to do whatever you want and not worry about anything. Like, you're going to truly have no inhibitions. And Sir Roland is getting drunk in this room and just shouting at animals and just letting loose. And, um, go ahead. And, well, and it's important that Thomas has watched his dad a lot through this secret place. And so he's seen him doing you know, being excessively drunk and yelling at the animals. And he's he's seen Peter come in and give him the wine, but he's never seen Flag come in until yeah. that particular night. And so we get this, uh, what was it? It was, man, I wanted to find the real short, like, good one. There is this tiny little chapter that I cannot find now. Where, um, oh, it's on, tw it's chapter 22. Chapter 29. Oh, 22? Yeah, Flag just comes in and hands him the chalice, and then is like, here you go, uh, here's some poison. And then he's like, I thought, uh, oh, he was pleased and touched that Flag should bring him a glass of wine. And then we get this same point of view from Thomas's point of view, and Roland's not pleased or touched. He's pretty confused, and he's like, what are you doing here? Like, okay, like, thank you, I love you, like, I appreciate it, that's very kind of you, but... It really showed me how morphed the point of view was for Randy. Mm -hmm. Randy just was so like, oh, man, I'm so cool and like convincing and like sneaky. And when Thomas points it out, he's like his father was like, oh, this is spiced. What would you do to it? Um, and that's when Thomas runs away and he just can't watch anymore. Mm -hmm. And he can't get that one phrase out of his head. It was spice. What did you do to it? And he falls into a fever dream coma. Um, and he doesn't have any dreams. There hasn't been any dreams yet, or else I would have pointed them out in the dream corner. I'm sorry, right. guys. No. Um, no dream. And I'm sure that there's going to be a dream. Do not worry. I will. I, if there is not a dream, I will write my There'll own dream. dream. There'll okay, be a dream. Kim assures us there's a dream. Don't worry, guys. Um, so, uh, yep, yep, yep. Thomas sees, uh, and you know. After he is poisoned, Randy is like, you know what? Uh, he falls into his... Uh, Thomas bleh, Thomas sees everything. And he falls mm -hmm. into his fever dream coma, right? And then Randy, he does everything he can to get rid of Roland's original cold that he was starting to come down with. So that right. way he looks super, super healthy. And then one day he's at dinner... And he lets out a belch that, in my head, when I was reading through it, I don't know about you, it was like 65 seconds long. It was like a four-minute oh, yeah. long. Like, oh, yeah. Just like continuous nonstop. And everybody in the, like, because nobody cheers or anything. And I feel like, you know, I don't know. I've seen, like, I feel like everywhere, like, if you belch really good, somebody's going to go like, wow, nice. And mm -hmm. like, especially here for the king. And he just kind of everybody stops and stares at him so it made me think like it had to be a particular really one. really yeah. yeah um and he dies he pretty much falls over and over the course of the next couple of days his body heat gets so hot that they have to throw body pills of water on him to keep the bed sheets from burning and the dragon sand is working its way to his heart until his heart is about to be burned through um mm -hmm. And uh, Yowza, that's a death. Well, and, and it says that dragon was the last word he ever spoke. And he says dragon, and then he lets out uh, a 
like breathe uh, a thing of fire like from his mouth like a big green jet of fire he breathes right and he passes away um and so immediately the entire kingdom like uh goes into action in a search hunt and we're treated to another flashback of how randy has taken this dragon glass and i'm not gonna lie it's pretty clever Mm-hmm. It's like frustratingly it is, it is actually, ingenious. It really is. Um, and so what he does is he takes a mouse and he takes this box that he'd stolen from Peter when Peter was like four years old. And Randy again says, I don't know why I stole it. I'm just kind of a klepto, but I'm really glad I did now. And he sets it up in a way in, uh, uh, what's his name? Gosh, forgot his name. Peter's room. Um, so that way Peter's butler is going to find it. Um, do you remember Inapt Pupil when we were reading through it and then all of a sudden it goes to Sneakers McGee at the end and it's like mm-hmm. a page, it's like two chapters of that? Or yeah. what was the other one about the Jewish dude? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. The, the guy in the the guy in uh, the hospital. Yeah. What was that? That was, that was Apt Pupil. Yeah, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, just uh, the way that like these characters would get introduced, they'd be like, talked about for like three chapters and then all of a sudden you introduce to their point it's like just Stephen King wants you to like he's like every character deserves a full backstory and introduction and live existence Um, and so he gives that uh, and so after Randy has essentially set up this trap Peter's butler is in his room getting ready Mm -hmm. as Peter is out searching for the person that killed his father and he sees the dragon stand, which was in the special parchment paper that was enchanted to not burn, starts to smolder and smoke. And there's a mouse that's been sleeping unconscious that Randy put a spell on in that box. And the little pouch is shredded open, so it looks like the mouse got into it. Also, I would like to point out, what, where, who, how did the mouse get in there? The, well, that's he- like completely like ignored. Randy put it there. Well, no, I know that, but like when you we get into the trial, and like right, yeah, like I agree. It, nobody yeah. is like, how did this mouse get into this wood box? Why is there a mouse in this wood box? That right. that I don't know. That that part bothers me. It's the only part of it. But essentially, it's set up in a way that it looks like this mouse has torn through the packaging that was holding this super secret deadly poison, and because of that, the mouse dies and it starts a small fire. Um, and so the butler reaches in, grabs it, and takes it to his paw, and his paw takes it to the judge. And it is that that traditionalism then strikes again, doesn't it? Yep. It sure does. And so now we're treated to the entirety of traditionalism in this society. Um, Peter is put up on trial for the murder of his father. And... Thomas, who, you know, he has something to say, but he's in a coma. He's in this, like, guilty heat coma, fever coma. Fever coma, Um, yeah. And And he's also terrified. Well, and because you've got to know subconsciously, he knows that this man just killed his father. Exactly. And that his his, brother's getting blamed for it. Yep, 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 yep. And I I think, like, I don't think he knows that his brother's being blamed for it yet. No, not yet. I think he was sick by then um, and, like, unconscious. I think he just knows that, like, this guy that showed him this secret tunnel and has been, like, his only friend just killed his dad. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is just, like, driving him, you know, that mental maladies can make you physically ill. 
Yes. And uh, so Peter goes on trial, and they um, there's a it's a surprisingly intricate like criminal investigation that we get. Uh, at least it's a lot more in detail than I expected in the book. You know what I yes. mean? Yes. Yep. Um, yep. And so they end up finding this poison and they call in Randy Flagg and Randy Flagg puts on this whole act about how he's only like heard of it and how he was going to, how he had gotten some to test on it, but it never arrived and how he was just so concerned because he was going to test it on a mouse and everything. And so maybe that's like, you know, maybe Peter just stole the mouse and the poison is what he's trying to infer. Exactly. Um, but what he does is he doesn't actually like prove anything. All he does is just fearmonger, and he makes everyone more scared of the poison and more scared that Peter was hiding all of this, um, right. to the point where, in that moment, he Peter's already lost. There's no way he can prove his innocence because those people in that room are going to tell everyone in town. Exactly, exactly. You know, he just sets him. I mean, it it's like the perfect framing. And Peter is silly enough. To, at one point, he has uh, flag says, "I need a piece of obsidian." Does anyone have that? And Peter's like, "Here, I have some in my desk." And he pulls out this giant slab of obsidian he has, and it's broken on one edge. And he's like, mm-hmm. "Oh, it's broken on that edge because I like broke it on the carpet or whatever." But then Randy puts this sand on it, and it starts to burn into it. So you're, it kind of implies that he broke it off to hide those like burns into the obsidian. Right. Uh, which doesn't play well for him. And it, I think one of the really interesting things, too, is it, very, it is pretty much established how important it is for Peter to have a righteous and honest rule, like to be yes. a good king. And his father has established that and pushed that into his head. So when he is eventually accused of this, they are told that tech, he has laid down the law that once his father died, he technically became king. And he is king now. So they right. can't actually and the, the, do anything. the actual anything. ceremony is just for ceremony. Right. So they can't do anything to him. And in fact, if he wants to, he can tell them all to like go away. And they'll, they'll listen to him because he's the king. The judge admits, though, he says, you will probably have a revolt. Like people, like that's a terrible way to start. Because your, of like, the perception. Right. Yeah. People, that's just the way that it'll look is that you murdered your father to take over. He's like, or we can go to the trial. If you could be go to the trial, we have to stop you from being king while you're becoming the trial. So you're just the prince. And then we're able to put you on trial. And so Peter stops to think and he's just a badass. And he's like, all right, I'm going to you're going to be in charge. And one of these other people are going to try me because you've obviously decided my guilt already. And they go to the trial and everybody had already decided his guilt already. Um, right. And and Peter believing in being just inherently good believes believed in the justice system. In the justice system because, you know, he knows he didn't do it. But traditionalism strikes again. Right. And Flag has set it up in such a way that well, that Flag's, was the end of it. Flag's just so old he knows all of the traditions, all of the loopholes and how to make all of it work in his favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I mean, it's interesting, too, that Stephen King seems to pit children against omniscient, omnipresent beings all the time. Um, but I mean, I get it. Like, it makes sense. Like, a child's not going to have the same kind of, like, 
sadness and just bleakness that an adult could have. And I think that right. that's like part of like what makes telling these child protagonist stories uh, so interesting is that there is a certain level of naive optimism that you lose as you grow up that is nice yeah. to revisit. Um, Peter, as uh, you may expect, is found not guilty in a shocking twist. <laughs> and no, he's guilty. No. Uh, yeah, everyone finds him super guilty. And he is eventually escorted up to the top of the needle to live out the rest of his days. And Because he is royalty and can't be. Can't, they can't execute royal. They like can't the execute royal him. So yeah. they, he just has to. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure is the needle talked about in Gunslinger? It's not if I remember correctly. It sounds no, I don't think so, so familiar. I don't know why. Uh, it sounds like a very familiar. I wouldn't be surprised if the needle comes back. That seems like a cool location. Yeah. Um, so the next chapters, uh, and uh, that's about where I was. I actually think I was supposed to stop reading a couple of chapters ago. Um, right, but where actually, but where you reading. actually stopped is actually a really good spot too. Yeah, so basically, Thomas wakes up to all of this, and Randy Flag is all packed up, and he's got his backpack on, and it's such a fucking, or, and he's got his backpack on, and it's such a dramatic scene, and he's kind of just wakes up the uh, the new king, and he's like, "Tommy, my boy, you're king now. Congratulations!" And he's like, "What? I don't want to be king." And he's like, sucks for you. You're king now. And I'm leaving. Goodbye. I'm abandoning you. I'm leaving you. I'm abandoning you. You're going to be abandoned and alone forever. Mm-hmm. And and this young kid. Uh, and then he before that, although he's like, oh, by the way, your brother murdered your father. So now your mother, your brother and your father have all left you. And I'm leaving you, too. The only person you ever thought was your friend. And then he's like, no, wait, please stay on and be my advisor. And then Randy Flagg turns around with a big old smile and he's like, well, I don't know. And then Randy Flagg has gotten what he's wanted. He has manipulated yep. this 12-year-old boy into becoming king. And that is where I stopped reading. Yep. Um, so, predictiones. I think um, Peter's for sure going to escape somehow. I think it's going to be with the help of Ben. Um, and I think he's got to convince Thomas... That he's friends, like that he's they're good, and I think Thomas will believe him uh, as much as he doesn't want to. He will. Um, I think Randy is gonna. He's it's gonna, he's gonna just be too arrogant again, and he's gonna mess up, and he's just gonna <laughs> fall to his own demises, just like he always does. And I'm excited to laugh at him when he fails. <laughs> um, I really love the way that this is set up, like. Uh, like the f- urban myth like fantasy element is really cool yeah this is such a great story i i love the the intricacy and the detail but also it's it's kind of an a, a, an ages old tale it's it's the same yeah. it's the it's, same story yeah, yeah yeah definitely you know regicide and betrayal and proving your name and your worth and your honor um mm-hmm. I do think too, uh, you know, as we the looking at the like themes overall for this book in particular, I think that we're gonna see a real big family is a strong bond theme, which makes sense yes. if you're writing this for your daughter. 
you know, like there's no bond stronger than family, like the people that love you and care about you and that kind of thing. Um, I think there's also been a very humanistic message so far, which is very nice. Um, and it's very aware too. It's not somebody at the top of a classist society sitting down saying like, oh, I'm a king. You should be nice to me. It is right. very honest in that way that it's talking about how peasants are rightfully uh, scared of kings. I'd be yeah. scared of anybody who could look at me and go, go kill that guy. Right? Right. Right. Yeah. Um and just that traditionalist theme that it's building to be torn down, I think, is beautiful. Uh, the really positive female sexuality has been, like, really nice and refreshing. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that it's something that Stephen King doesn't do. It's just, like, I didn't expect it in this one. Uh, and then in the right. breathing method, too, dude, talk about some feminist literature right there. That is yeah. fantastic. Um, and, yeah. Anything else you want to say about The Eyes of the Dragon? I'm really excited for you to get to the the details of how Peter proves his innocence. It's really it's it's really a cool culmination not, of the story. And I mean I think that's one thing yeah, uh go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I mean because I mean we know based on what we've read so far, that Flag did all of this. And the, the way that it all comes about that Peter corrects the narrative is really cool. I'm, I'm excited for you to read the second half of this book. I'm excited too, because I think that in a world of sword and sorcery, it seems like Peter is going to choose to be more intelligent and to think his way out of this than to just like you know, get a bunch of people and cause a revolt and go kill him. And yes. maybe he will do that also. I think he could do both options very well. I, That's the absolutely. coolest thing about Peter. Um, so I'm excited. I think uh, I'm excited to... Uh, uh, I'd love it if, like, you know, uh, Peter and uh, uh, ends up somewhere else, too. Just, like, you can just see him. I don't know. I can just see him being in, like, a, behind a random door. Just, like... <laughs> Oh, no, I thought that this was somewhere else, or I don't know. But regardless, um, I think that's it. That's Eyes of the Dragon. Eyes of the Dragon Part 1. I know it's very expository, um, so bear with us as we get into the the meat of the dragon, as it were. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Oh, no, 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 I got it. Let me take take two, ready. Bear with us as we get into the heart of the dragon, as it were. Yes. That was good. At least I'm proud of it. So I you like tell that. me. Um, no, that's great. Make sure to respond on Facebook to our poll about what your first Stephen King book was and who introduced it to you. And do you blame them? That's the end of that question. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. This absolutely. Has, and this and tell us what your yeah. Oh, yeah, and give us feedback and rate us. And just thank you so much for your love and support. It really means the world to us. And we're trying really hard. Um, We should uh, hopefully have almost a month of episodes scheduled up and ready to go. So thank you. All right. Uh, This has been our first time through Eyes of the Dragon. And this has been your first time through the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a great day. Bye. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. 
If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash firsttimethrough to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you, I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock, is produced by Empty Theater Productions, is created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins, editing by Otto Mullins, music by Jason Rager, art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.